Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awakairangi Kitai, where I'm recording today. Hello! Hi! How is your weekend going? It's fine. It's nice and sunny. We've got spring momentarily, so I'm not complaining. Mm. How about you? Great. I have tea and a beautiful new teacup <laughs> that my bestie sent me for a birthday present. Thank Cute. you. Oh, it's, it's pretty. It's so pretty. It's that little quote in it. I love it. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I've been saving it to use. I was like, I'll use it on the pod. Yeah, I was like, well, it's not going to keep it warm. And I know you value a good cup that keeps <laughs> things warm, but it is very pretty. It's super pretty. And the thing is, is I do use cups like this when I have people over. Like, I don't use mm. my Yeti when I have guests. I tend to use whatever they're drinking out of. So I can just use this one for when I have people over. Oh, pretty. Yeah. <laughs> well, what sparked joy for you this week? Um, so yesterday we went to the Royal Australian Air Force Family Day for Squadron 37. Um, and these are the big, my daughter calls them the buff planes because they're the Hercules mm. planes. So they look like big and bulky and they're the ones that carry all of the people and stuff. And my sister-in-law's partner, Elle, is a pilot and she's also a, a pilot who trains other pilots. So it was kind of to go and see her, but it was a really fun day. So we got to go for a ride in a Hercules and um, I wasn't meant to go. There wasn't enough like there weren't enough tickets for me, but she found a spot for me, which was really cool. So I got to go with my kids and my husband and my brother-in-law. And then she took us in the simulator and everybody got a turn flying a plane, which was really mm. cool. And there was like face painting and a petting zoo and ice cream. And it was just really fun to spend the day seeing what she does for a job. And like also to be completely overwhelmed with just how smart she is and what a good pilot she is. Because like, you know, you hear people say, oh, this is my job. But then you see her actually like course correcting and adjusting and touching all the controls without actually thinking about it or looking at them and you're like oh dang yeah no I know nothing about this I would be very glad for her to be in the cockpit and for me to never go anywhere <laughs> near it um so it was really great and the kids had a good day and you know my husband had a good day and the only one who didn't was poor Bella who got left at home but <laughs> yeah. that's, that's okay we've given her lots of cuddles today to make up for it yeah, yeah it was really cute good. um nice. what about you what was you what sparked joy for you this week well, I had a very long week and it was just very trying in general. Mm. But um, on Friday night, I got home and I just randomly, because I have a PlayStation and we use the PlayStation to watch West Wing and Teen Wolf, all our DVDs go in the PlayStation. And that's predominantly what I use it for. But mm. on Friday, after I took the disc out, I was like, oh, maybe I'll just play a game. So I randomly just chose a game that I had previously downloaded and never played and started playing it. Ooh. And I played it for like five hours yesterday. And my housemate was like, this brings me such joy because I feel like I never see you do something just for the sake of doing it. You're always doing things for like an end goal, like whether it's to learn something or to make something or just get somewhere or do something, but you never just switch off. And this is the first time yeah. since we've lived together that she's really seen me just chill for the sake of Aww, chilling. So that's that was great. Yeah, and I think I really needed it. It's just been a rough week. So just doing nothing yesterday, giving myself permission to just do that was yeah, great. Yeah, rest, rest. Mm. Sometimes it's good to have the useless thing that isn't productive, just just to play. We need to play, even as adults, we need to play. Yeah, that's great. So that's I really so enjoyed great. that. What's the yeah. game? Um, I started playing Hollow Knight, which is a 2017 kind of like a dungeon crawler, I guess. I'm not very good at it. This is the thing. I'm not great at video games. I really suck with the coordination. I really struggle climbing in video games for some reason. And I am incapable of getting past the first boss in this game. I have tried multiple times, but that's okay. I'm having fun just doing other things. <laughs> this is why I stick to Mario. I feel like if I've got side scroll and that like five foot plumber, I'm good. This is, is a side scroller. Oh, nice. Like it's a side scroller. Yeah, it's really fun. And that's why, because it's like kind of creepy, kind of cool. But yeah, it's not requiring me to move in 3D, which is when we tried to play Hitman a couple of weeks ago. Neither of us could really do it. <laughs> I just don't understand games like that. I'm like, how do you, why, why do you need to, even, um, what is it, Super Mario Odyssey, where you have to explore all the worlds? I'm like, there's too many directions. I don't, I just want to go in one direction. Just I can't one. control the camera and like walk and shoot and do things at the same time. The camera needs to be stationary. Don't give me the option to look up, look down. Like, what is happening? Yeah, that's too much like real life. Make it yeah. simple. 
Oh, that's so great. I'm so glad you're having a good time with your PlayStation. It is a great DVD player, though, I will say. <laughs> I know. My, my housemate was like, yeah, your aspirational PlayStation. <laughs> I pay for PlayStation Plus as well, which is like a yearly subscription where every month yeah. I get two games that I can download. And I download them religiously every month. I download my games and I'm like, why am I downloading Halo? I am never going to play Halo. <laughs> there is not a version of me that's ever going to play this game, but... But someone might come over to your house someday and be like, I've always wanted to play Halo. And you could be like, please, help wow. yourself. I never will. It's yeah. Just, yeah, giving people the opportunity. I love that. Mostly just play the Lego games and the Sims. So, yeah. Sounds good. What, was it last winter, last summer holidays, you made the um, Raven Cycle Sims? Is that what you did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I made the house. I made the um, Monmouth Manufacturing. <laughs> so good. I love it. Anywho, so, oh. um, right, well, this week we're reading chapters 65 to 73 through the theme of duty. Did you have a story for us? I do. Uh, I wanted to talk about my relationship to the concept of duties. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked last week about responsibility, and I think they're really similar, but they are different. So responsibility being like, I have touched this piece of paper on the ground. I'm now responsible for throwing it away. But I think a duty is deeper than a responsibility. I think a duty is something that is like, obligatory thing or service like we have to do this so a duty Mm. feels more imperative and also less personal than a responsibility so things like brushing my teeth that feels like a responsibility but things like Mm -hmm. feeding the dog that feels like a duty right Mm -hmm. and these are things that have to be done even if it's not specifically my job to do them and i did also want to point out that we use duty as like a legal term so tort law specifically has the concept of a duty of care which says that we have mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. have to do our best to mitigate harm through carelessness um and this is 100 why i sweep the camellia petals petals off of my front path three times a day in may because if the postman slips then i have failed my duty of care and i really take this seriously i don't want him or her to fall down because of my stupid tree that i love so much that i won't move my path or move the tree (laughs) so that's how I interpret that bit of tort law um Mm -hmm. so all of that said I have in the past had a really bad habit of taking on responsibilities and treating them like duties Mm. and it was part of coping with having undiagnosed ADHD so basically I would up the stakes on really low stakes things in order to get them done like if everything was an important duty then it would not get missed But it had a really bad side effect, which meant that I was unable to discern what was a duty and what was a responsibility. And I think a lot of people still confuse those. Um, So I thought I would talk about the framework that helped me to begin to unpack that and to like understand what actually was a duty and what was my responsibility. And it came in the form of a tweet where author Jennifer Barnes had spoken to author Nora Roberts about balancing working life and home life. And she said this thing about juggling all of the balls as a working parent as a writer and a parent and a partner and all of the other things like you have to know which balls you're juggling are plastic and you can drop Mm. and which balls you're juggling are glass and the ones that you can't drop and it wasn't like oh I'm juggling work and that's a ball and I'm juggling kids and that's a ball it's like kids are 25 different balls and some of those balls are glass and some of those balls are plastic so like Taking them to the dentist every six months is like a glass ball. Um, Making it to every chapel every week is probably a plastic ball. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. So thinking about all of the things I do and separating those into like, if I drop this, will it break? Or if I drop this, will it bounce and I'll be able to pick it up again? Has helped me to discern what a duty is and what a responsibility is. And I feel like that's a really incredible metric for me because otherwise I would just carry everything and juggle it all. And then I would drop everything and some of it would break and I would not be able to pick it back up again because it was broken Mm. so I think the other thing I was talking about this with my husband but the other thing we think about duties that we we were kind of trying to tease out the meaning together and he said well I think duties are bigger and I was like right they're macro and responsibilities are micro so duties are something that belong to all of us they're things that have to be done and it sort of gave me this perspective that duty isn't something that is only mine so I don't exist in a vacuum I'm not the only person in the world who can solve problems I am one of a community and so when there are things that need done that that are duties and not personal responsibilities then I can actually ask for help Mm. um and I can expect that when I need help other people will help me because it's sort of like we all have a duty to look after each other and this comes back to the good place and Chidi's great talk which is what do we owe each other And it's stuff like if someone's groceries fall out of the bottom of their bag and I'm standing right there, yeah, of course I'm going to help them gather up their apples that have rolled all over. 
Or if someone has a flat tire and it's raining, then yeah, I'll stop if they've got a flat mobile phone battery. Yes, of course they can use my phone or here have my phone charger. Like that's just something you can do to help. And I think we do have a duty to help where we can. But I, I think the thing I've really taken from thinking about this and from my own life of like making everything a duty instead of just being like, well, that's my responsibility and that's someone else's responsibility is that I cannot do it all and it is not my duty to do it all. We all have obligations and we all have things that have to be done, but not everything is meant to be done by me alone all of the time. And it's actually really important that I let other people do things too so that they can and I'm not the only one who can do all of the things. Yeah, very important. Yeah. Share the load. Well, exactly. I just, yeah, I think part of the American exceptionalism that I grew up with was that I really had to, like, do it all and be it all. And that's just kind of a terrible way to live, really. So yeah. better in community. Yeah. Individualism is not the way forward. No, we all, like, we've never been able to get anywhere on our own completely anyway. Like, anyone who says that they have is lying or they're completely discounting other people who've helped them or sacrificed for them. Yeah, they're not seeing the benefit of other people helping them. I mm. think that's just mm -hmm. very nearsighted. Mm. If you genuinely think you got somewhere on your own. There's always going to be someone, whether it's like a family member or a teacher or someone who took a punt mm. on you when you needed help. There's always someone who's helped you along the way. Exactly. Someone who listened every time you complained for years and just never made it a problem that you needed to have that space. Like, that gave you something. <laughs> There's always someone. There's someone there. All right. I'll do our chapter summaries and then we can get really stuck into it. I know. Yeah. This was such a good section. So much action. So much happening. So Agatha and Neve head back to Watford <laughs> to check up on the pregnant doe. Neve has taken Agatha's advice and cut her hair short and it looks incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, but Neve is in a deep vulnerability hangover after her and Agatha's date. That wasn't a date the day before. But soon they're stuck into getting to Watford and looking after the goats. They get some help from a reluctant dryad to find their doe, but they don't manage to save the baby goat. Simon, Baz, Penny and Shep break into the orphanage to find Pippa. It seems abandoned, but it turns out someone is at home and it's Jamie Salisbury. He's hiding out in the basement and he's actually fine, except it turns out the spell didn't give him magic, but depleted it. Baz, meanwhile, is still on a mission to find Pippa and he does, only she's tied up and held hostage by Smith Richards' godfather, Evander. Penny knocks him out and Baz gives Pippa her, vo her voice back. She then tells them that the spell is actually a curse and that Smith Richards has been lying to everyone and they decide to stop him before he curses even more people, including Penny's dad and Baz's stepmom. They head to Watford as fast as they can, hoping they're not too late. Oh so, yes, my gosh. Straight into the drama of it. Um, just off the basis of your story, I just want to talk about someone who I think really embodies that duty of care or like the duty to be a good person. What do we owe each other? That whole thing. And that's really Shep. Yes. Shep takes it very seriously that he's going to support people. You know, he's got water yep. ready for Peppa. He is yeah. always on the lookout at what he can do for others. Yeah, like he goes into the room and the music's playing so loud where Jamie's hanging out and drinking tea and watching, I don't know, Rage or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he turns the volume down so everyone can talk and not shout. Like he's just so cognizant of the surroundings and trying to make it better for everyone. It's just really beautiful. Yeah, he really gets it, I think. I just love Shep. I also find it interesting to think about, you know, you mentioned in Tort Law the duty of care. Like the duty of care that Watford, or not even Watford, but the world of mages has to its mages, its magicians. Like what duty of care do they have to these people that I would say they failed at? The fact that people like Smith Richards can get around and like exploit people suggests a failure there in a duty of care. But also to the goats. Because I think yeah. the goats have a duty to Watford they need to fulfill to keep the magic safe, right? But... There's also a duty that the world of mages owes them. And the, the dread very much says, you know, magicians, they just take. They're takers. Yeah. And I think there's something really interesting in the way that I think the mage really stripped that from them. He took away their history. He took away their understanding of, like, place. And mm -hmm. there's an expectation, you know, for example, that normals can't see Watford, but then ship can. And there's so much that is lost in that moment. The forest has fallen into this dark, wild magic. The yeah. dread looks really disheveled. No one is looking after these places because it's not yeah. valued. And it's just that thing we spoke about previously. Like, institutional knowledge is important. And there's yeah. a duty to preserve that. Absolutely. I mean, I don't want to bag out 
Penny's mom because she really is dealing with it and going through it. But she is so she is stretched so thin. I feel like the person can't be the head of the coven and also run Watford because they're two separate things, right? They're not actually just one thing. They're two separate things. Mm. Like there needs to be somebody who's just looking after the school and there needs to be someone else who's like working with them, but also just looking after the coven. It just feels like too much. It's like one person has all of these duties and they need to be done. It does need to be done. But like it shouldn't be all one person's responsibility to fulfill all of the duties. And I think the last person who was really able to do it was Natasha Grimpitch because she yeah, found and she... Eb and put Eb into place and she was looking after people. Right. Yeah. And she also understood the history, mm-hmm. what was required. I think one of the real terrors of what the mage wrecked on this society was just taking that away from them so that maybe people don't understand like some people like neve has done the research but it's not common knowledge this these histories these things that they've lost and it just makes me think of like oral traditions from first nations people and how that gets stripped from them because they lose their language and they're taught not like you know they're told they can't embrace their own culture and how much have we lost because of that yeah my daughter just did a um a busking for change event at her school where they all did some singing and they all raised money for the indigenous literacy foundation and my son was asking why do we have to go and see her sing and i said well you know they're raising money for indigenous literacy foundation and i'll, I'll put a link in the the show notes for um the ilf because it's great but i was explaining that like these kids they have readers but they don't have the readers that are in their language and this is what ilf does is they make readers in their language so that these kids don't grow up only seeing the written words in english and I was trying to, like, how do I explain this to a 10-year-old? <laughs> but I think we got there. But it just made me realize once again, like, how valuable it is to be able to see things in your own yeah. language. To, to have those things. And we really do have a duty to make sure that that knowledge is protected. And, and the people who are, I guess, the keepers of it, the people who are the most knowledgeable, are able to have that voice to say, this is what we need and this is how we preserve it. One of my favorite trends in New Zealand recently has been the reissue of Disney films and Tereo Māori. So every yes. now and then one comes out. Coco is out at the moment. Oh. Uh, they've done like loads of different ones. Obviously Moana, I think, was the first one because that is very you know, yeah, yeah. topical to Pacific Island culture as well as Māori culture. And then, yeah, they've just been rolling them out. And I think that is so cool. That is great. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. I love that it's just like that, that Māori's the big language that we don't really have oh, yeah i don't know if there are languages in my actual area that could be learned you know like it's we have so many different cultures sydney's like a huge meeting point the, the aora nation is a huge meeting point for a lot of different places and language and i don't think there's anyone like strictly tied to my area who remains or like any ancestors that you could look back on and say this was our language to learn but it would be amazing if yeah. we could so much knowledge lost makes me so mad i'm so glad that there are people like neve and agatha who really take it upon themselves to look after the vulnerable in this case it's goats but like they are important and i love that agatha has just taken this on as her duty to go with neve and yeah help and she's the taking goats. it seriously they both take that duty very seriously and i think agatha also learning yeah. to trust her own instincts and just leaning into it you know it's mm. really cool i have a mm. feeling yeah and Eve says, I don't have feelings. I have a university education, which makes me laugh because that is my husband. <laughs> I do feel, yeah, I feel like even people like that have a intuition and have a feeling. I think they just taught not to trust it. I think they get taught so often throughout mm. life. And I think this happens a lot to women as well. You know, that you're told, told that your intuition is just hysteria or nonsense and you learn not, not to trust it because people tell you it's not a thing. But I do yeah. think... If you dig deep down inside you, we all have a little voice. You just need to learn to listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. What's the vibe? Vibe check. Vibe check. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you think our dear friend Smith Smith Richards uses duty as a way, way to keep people in line? Like, I feel like he's really weaponized it against Jamie to be like, this is your duty to our movement. Like, you can't be honest. We have to like keep you locked up in the basement, but you're not really locked up because if people found out they'd lose faith and that is your fault and you have a duty to protect it. Yeah. Yeah. He's really done a number on Jamie. I do think that he's weaponized this. I, I also think he really believes. His oh own yeah. Nonsense, 100%. <laughs> that he has this duty to, to be the chosen one. Um, and so he just ignores everything that's not like convenient 
to him. So the fact that they're losing their magic, I mean, the fact that he does the spell and then they lose their magic, he's just like, we'll figure it out later. It's just not convenient because he has the showmanship, right? I don't think he's thinking about it in terms of like, he's actually causing these people not to have magic. I mean, I'm not sure, but maybe he is, but I just don't feel like he. No, I would agree with that because he does make that call about like weak wands and stuff. And if he genuinely thought he was stripping people of magic, Mm. then he is just diminishing his own followership, right? So he can't really be doing that. Um, But I do, he drives me insane because he is so wrapped up in his expectations of what the world of mages is and like his expectations of the White Chapel Mm. and blah, blah, blah. So he's trying to remake the world. Oh yeah, the windows were disappointing, but the architecture was fantastic. I'm like, the windows were blown out when they defeated the mage. Thank you. I feel like he's just trying to remake the world so it lives up to what he expects it to be. And he's just like completely not in touch with reality. And that grosses me out. Oh, he's like the fedora guy. He's the m'lady. Oh, he talks about Daphne and he's like, I'll do Daphne first. She'll cry, but she won't wreck her face. She's good with presentation. And it's like, mate, that's not the most important thing. Like, that is not... Like you, I hate that guy who's like optics this, optics that. Like all optics. We get you. that at work all the time. Just... Someone will be like, "Think of the optics." I'm like, I don't care about the optics. Yeah, optics are the last thing we should be thinking about. Is it right and good and proper and like should it be done by me right now? Yeah. If you're prioritizing the object, the optics over people's well-being, mm. then there's fundamentally an issue. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think, yeah, he's just a horrible piece of work. And you're right, he completely buys his own delusion, which is the worst kind of cult leader, the one who genuinely believes, at least with someone mm. who's trying to scam people, there's some level of yeah. self-awareness. And I do feel like with the mage, it was like he had this belief that Simon was the chosen one because he'd sort of made it happen that way. And only at the end when he was like, oh, no, it's not going to work. He's a broken vessel. Did he start to, like, get a bit culty? Before that, it was, like, serious about reforming the world of mages, again, to fit his own ideals, but not in a way that was, like, I don't know. It just seemed like he wasn't taking personal advantage of people. It felt like he had a duty more than wanted anything, fame or anything. The thing with the mages that we've discussed, I think, when we read Carry On as well, was, like, a lot of his ideas aren't bad. Like, there are issues in the world of mages. There is, a you know, problems about mm. the fact they wouldn't let creatures, quote-unquote, into you know, Watford, yeah. and you had to have a certain amount of magic before you could get in, which lead, led to the situation that Jamie's in, right? So the mage wasn't wrong. It's just that he is such a... It's too extreme, right? Yeah, he took it and went too far with it. Yeah, yeah. which is often the way. <laughs> yeah, you're never going to get a true moderate anywhere because, ugh, I don't know, I just have a lot of feelings about that. I won't get too political, but yeah, the mage could have been a good reformer, but he instead went like full throttle on all of the things that he wanted and then some and then he started to let it get to his head like sending children in to raid people's Mm. houses like that was actually unnecessary there is no war that was required but yet yeah exactly i i love the duty that these friends all feel towards each other like penny is like we can't let bears run off right and simon's like can't let bears get hurt he like grabs Pippa's wrist and Baz is like must protect Simon I can't cast spells on him anymore they all feel this duty to look after each other which is really lovely and then Penny feels a duty to ship as well she's like yeah I'll bail you out don't worry about it because she's responsible (laughs) for him I love that ship's like that is not (laughs) that is not as reassuring as you make it sound I love Shep. I love, I actually really love how Shep is worried about her like breaking and answering, stealing a van like driving off other cars off the roads did you just disappear a car i moved it <laughs> like penny what have you she done? is just so wild She's... like the fact that she <laughs> she is honestly i love that she just knocks out evander like there's no dilly dallying she doesn't do a <laughs> debate with him she's just like nah out it's actually great it is great but this is one of the things i think that her duty the way that she has always viewed it, right, is to be with Simon and help him so that he can save the world of mages, right? So she's just a really good, like, battle-ready mm. soldier. And I think of this as really interesting because, like, she has practiced this enough and she's ruthless enough that she can just the decision. do what yep. needs to be done. Yeah. So she's taken her duty and turned that into, like, a yeah, vocation and Simon's... to protect yeah. And same with Simon, right? It's his duty to protect everyone, whether he has magic or not. That's ingrained mm. in him. He's the first down the stairs and he lies to Penny and Baz at the end there because he's like, got to protect them. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's so beautiful. 
have a lot of feelings about it. And um, I, we should talk about Baz's duty of Pepper. care for yeah. Philippa, right? So he gives her her voice back. He's trying so hard not to scare her worse. Um, she knows who he is. She's terrified of him. He's like, I've got to fix this. He's trying to explain. And then he's like, I can't explain. I just have to do it. And it's this really tense and awful moment. And then he's wishing and hoping that she does have her magic still, that it hasn't faded, right? Because she has her voice back, so maybe she does have her magic back. And so he gives her his wand, and she spells mm. him. And he's like, I'll take it. Whatever it is, I'll take it. Because he had made this commitment that he was going to let her spell him to oblivion. And Simon's like, no. And Penny's like, are you driving? What's name? What? Yep, what? But she only, you know, shoots water on him, and that's fine. Her magic is still there with her. She still has it, which is great. But he's taken this really seriously. Yeah. Like, this has become a personal a personal responsibility. They're all sharing in the duty of getting this girl's voice back. But Baz is the one who is going and to And even the fact through. that she's still a bit hoarse and squeaky, he's like, oh, I wonder if I, there's a spell for that. What else can I do to help? Like, he, yeah. he doesn't really care if there are any repercussions to him because he thinks that she is the priority here. Like, his duty to her is what takes precedence even over his own safety. That's why he just barrels on in into the, yeah. the basement. Like, he doesn't stop with the dilly-dallying. He's like, this is besides the point, you know? Yeah. 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 Hmm. It's really incredible. I love Simon's observation, which I think speaks to the expectation about right and wrong, right? Like, I think we often think that there is a, mm. a right way or a wrong way. There's very little nuance. Everything's always black and white. And I think Simon has a really insightful moment here where he talks about the sh shades of grey. So on page 463, he says, you know, who's yeah. good, who's bad. It's all about which side of the wand you're standing on and who you're trying to protect. Absolutely. Because he's trying to reckon with who's the villain. Is it? Is it Smith Richards? Is it... Is it Evander? I mean, he did seem like the villain. He had the scroll tied up, but like I've tied people up and left them for better reasons. You know, he's trying to reckon through. His yeah, and whole I think life. because the mage betrayed him, right? This person he thought was the good guy, but turned out to be the villain yeah. in the end. And you know, I am in this Harry Potter and the Sacred Text group, and we just had a meeting this morning, and we finished Goblet of Fire, and I was just thinking about what will happen with the Malfoys later on. Like they think they're doing the right thing. Like Narcissa thinks she's doing the right yeah. thing. And then she has a change of heart right later, right? So who, you know, from her perspective, she's not a bad guy. No, she's just trying to protect her family. Justice for Narcissa, one of the best and most complicated characters in that Truly, whole series. Truly, she comes through in a clutch there at the end. There just aren't a lot, just as a little sidebar, there just aren't a lot of, like, complicated women in Harry Potter. Like, you get Hermione and Jenny to an extent, but even they're real caricatures, right? Like, Hermione is smarter than boys, and Jenny is, like, tougher and funnier and cooler than boys. But I feel like Narcissa is the only one who, like, plays the game and also does a double cross. And that's, like, way more interesting than the, like, blind loyalty of anyone else. Like, the pure goodness of Lily or the pure of evil. Bellatrix. Or negligence of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or even of um, Petunia, yeah. right? Like, she's just And you've a got villain. Molly. She's very Who I think has real potential to have mm. a nuanced character because, she, there's, I, you know, reading these books again through this sacred text lens, there's so much in the text about who she was at school and how powerful a witch she is and all these things, but all she ever does is look after yeah. these kids. And I'm not saying there's not power in being a home, like a mother and a carer. Yeah, but she should be working at the ministry at There ministry should just as be well. more like, for her, you know? She shouldn't just be that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, she is always drawn as just that. Yeah. Ugh, justice for Narcissa. Justice for Molly Truly. Weasley. Um, mm. Expectations of Shep for Penny just to be a criminal, to tie it into your point. Like, he just expects her to do the bad thing. And I love, I love, yeah. love when he says yeah. on page 473, you shouldn't be allowed to use the word, obviously, that should not be in your vocabulary. <laughs> I love that they're in a flying car. And he's like, do the brakes work? And she's like, obviously not. Who's steering? <laughs> obviously you are. He's like, oh. <laughs> it's not obvious the car is flying you just disappeared some other car to get it to get them out of my way oh gosh if i were chef i would be very stressed out all of the time but he likes penny so much he's like we're just gonna work on it <laughs> honestly i think there's also a lovely moment in this like to be sp just spoke about simon's perception and i think he is very perceptive mm. there about good and bad but i think baz really has a great moment here where he's having a good reckoning with the world of mages and the expectations of magic, right? You know, talking about Daphne and Martin yeah. being in this cult, for lack of a better word, and Penny is all, like, outraged. And he says yeah, on yeah. page 473, I'm not insulting your father, Bunce. 
I just think it's easy for us to say he should be happy, that Daphne should be happy. We have all the power we've ever wanted. We don't know what it's like. And this is a real change for him from yeah. where he started this, the book. So I, I love that journey. Yeah. I love that he's finally realizing that it isn't quite as smooth for other people. Because they've really had this year and change with Simon where he's just been kind of like, well, I should have been a normal. Um, and I would love to circle back mm. to how Jamie is starting mm-hmm. to say that, mm-hmm. that exact same thing. That's a real echo of Simon's whole last year. Um, but, you know, they've had this year and change to really, like, get used to the idea that Simon doesn't have magic anymore. And it's affected them in different ways. So, like, it really took Penny going to the U.S. and being on this road trip and meeting a normal she actually liked well enough to get to know to start to unpack some of that. Whereas Baz has been kind of, like, in, I don't know, this, like, bubble of denial about it, really. And it was only when they started to, like, he and Simon started to communicate that he could really understand what Simon was saying and why he was like, don't do magic, don't talk about it, don't cast on me. I, it just reminds me of what I'm not anymore. Like, it took a long time for them both to get there, yet they've had this friend who's been, like, traumatized and, for lack of a better word, mm. disabled for, like, a year. And they're still like, well, have you yeah. tried yoga? <laughs> you yeah. know? And it's just really, it really just hit very differently this time that he was like okay but maybe yoga doesn't work for everyone <laughs> it's like oh we're getting it I do it. think that's the duty of care that the world of majors has failed at to make people feel like this like the fact that Jamie yeah. goes around being like and Simon you know oh I'm a normal magicians don't have normal children well maybe one of my parents wasn't normal and I love that Baz is like I hope he hasn't said that to his mother <laughs> I know how shocking and also like he looks so much like his sister right they both have the same blonde and then hair later we found eyes. out we'll find out that he looks like Simon. Like, Baz has a moment where he's like, oh my, how did I not see this? Like, look at them. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait for that. I'm looking forward to that section very much. I'm going to cry buckets. Um, In terms of expectations, I really want to talk about how Agatha kind of had had different expectations for Neve the day after their, like, date Mm -hmm. that wasn't a date. How she, like, was, like, really eager to see her. Then, like, Neve is, like, cut her hair and she looks amazing. And Agatha's, like, she looks so good. And then Neve's, like, frowning. And she's, like, really difficult. And and Agatha's, like, you could at least tell me thank you. And she's, like, I thanked the person who cut my hair. Like, they have this not, like, it's very tense. But I think Agatha's kind of into it. I don't know. What, what's your take on yeah, that? Yeah, I love that Neve, you know, Agatha's in the car with her. And she's, like, well, we had lots of chats last night. But now suddenly she doesn't want it. We're back to not mm. talking, right? This is expectation, I think, when you... Mm-hmm. When you do like someone and you have a great time and the next time you see them, you're a little bit nervous and you're not sure how it's going to land. And I think because Neve, yeah. she strikes me, as you said, a very logical person. So she doesn't understand what is happening. She doesn't understand the parameters of what's going on. So mm. she's just grumpy about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love her so much. And I love her and her grumpiness and her frowning and her size and her like not able to wrangle the goats and not having intuition. Oh, I just love her so much. I love that she's able to recognize that Agatha is better with the goats than she is. It's not a moment of pride for her. She's like, okay, mm. you, you're going to do this because the goat will allow you to do this and I'll support you in whatever way I yeah. can. Like I will cast spells. I will rub your back. I'm going to help you and be supportive. I'm not going to be grumpy and try to take over because I'm the expert. Yeah, yeah, she's got no ego when it comes to doing the actual work, and I think that's really, like, when she, when it comes to fulfilling the duty, it's like, whoever can do it, can do it, and she just wants to make sure that it's done, which is Can I just say, when we say duty, it just reminds me of that episode of Black Books where Manny gets a job in the bookshop next door, and he has a card, and he has to go, it's a duty to do, it's your duty to do, and he keeps beeping the card, Mm -hmm. duty to do, duty to do, (laughs) anyway. (laughs) Mm, I think that was all I had for expectation and duty. I did, yeah, I want to circle back to um, on page 471 mm. when Jamie is echoing all of Simon's mm-hmm. thoughts. Um, Salisbury turns to Simon like he's looking for something there. Maybe I was meant to be normal. Jamie, Pippa whispers, no. Magicians don't have normal children, I say. Maybe one of my parents was normal, Salisbury says to me. You never really know, do you? And um, and this is just really interesting because it, it comes right back to what Simon has always been thinking about himself, was that he's actually just a fluke. That he was stealing magic, that his parents weren't really mages, that he was, that he's, that he is a normal. And he doesn't know that he's not. Like, he has just convinced himself that this is true. But it's interesting to, to see how when you don't live up to those expectations, you start to, like, 
justify it or like try and find a way to make it make sense so in jamie's sense like in jamie's eyes he doesn't want smith richards to have let him down so he's changing the expectations well maybe i was a bad person to do this spell on maybe i'm actually a normal i could never really do magic anyway but he's already talked about how he could feel it Mm -hmm. in his like fingertips before and then it fizzled out so like it was there and then it's not and it's just a really interesting moment of like how we talk ourselves out of feeling let down or how we talk ourselves into feeling hopeful. Yeah, and I think it's also something in there about knowing that you have the potential even if you aren't living up to it. Like, the fact that Jamie talks about feeling it in his mm. fingers, even though he didn't use it, like, Ruth told us before that he stopped casting altogether. And Agatha as well, like, she yeah. had that potential in her, but in Wayward Son, she wasn't casting, right? Knowing she yeah, left her knowing that home, you're yeah. able and you're choosing not to do it is very different from someone taking that away from you. And I think... That's something about yeah. Simon talking about how he felt that bubble popping. He didn't think there was anything left in him, but there was something. But it was. Yeah. yeah. And I do think there's something about, you know, what you expect yourself to be capable of. These people have been told that they can't, they're bad casters, that magic doesn't work for them for whatever reason, because they're not taught in a way that fits with their, their format, you know, whether they're dyslexic or whatever it is. Even Philippa, like the fact that you can only cast magic where you can speak. There must be a way around that. They just haven't bothered to find it. There, ha- Yeah, I was like, where are the deaf mages who are casting using idioms in BSL mm. or mm. Auslan, right? Like, there have to be mages who only speak with sign languages who can cast spells. Like, it cannot just be vocal and verbal. Because it has to be, like, language. But language is not just words. It's not just yeah. voice. But I think this is, again, a, la- a failure of a duty of care. The world of mages have never bothered because all they care about is power. So they've never bothered to figure out the nuance of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's about the the obvious and easy way and not about, like, making sure that it's genuinely inclusive and genuinely adaptive for everyone. Yes, I was reading this thing about, you know, the discourse around using the term disabled and people were saying it's not... This person was saying she didn't have a problem with people calling her disabled, but it's not her that's disabled. It's the world that made her that way by not accommodating her needs. It's not a fault of her yeah, own. Yeah. It's the fact that a building doesn't have an uh, an elevator or anything like that. Like that's where the the issue yeah. comes in. And I thought that was an interesting reframing. And I feel like that's what the world of mages does. It makes it very easy for the the bunces and bazes of the world to do the magic that they can do because it's perfectly tailored for their ability and interests. Yeah, it's made for them. And then it's like, have you tried yoga? Because it works for me. <laughs> yeah. I can run a mile. Have you tried yoga? Well, I'm missing a leg, so I don't yeah, think that will help. Exactly. Right? Um, did you have any tangential? Uh, yes, I have a lot of laughs, a lot of lols. Uh, Penny going, honestly, are you a mage or a mouse at Baz on page 450? Great. Uh, Shepard <laughs> being like, pour some sugar on me. And Baz being like, what? Because out of context. <laughs> that is a great song, by the way. I agree. And then Jamie just being like, why is Simon Snow looking for me? Because your mum was worried about you, Simon says. My mum knows Simon Snow. You can just call me Simon. Really? (laughs) (laughs) That's so cute. Oh, it makes me so happy. Their little friendship. I love the little chickens that Simon and Baz do with each other. You know, Simon crawls up to him and he's like, what's wrong? And Baz goes, nothing new, which I love. I love that something is always wrong. But also, it's so opposite to me to how they were in Wayward Son when they go to that final battle. Because, you know... Simon's wings kept hitting Baz in the back of that car and he got really angry about it. And here he talks about Simon keeps spreading his wings out, but he doesn't say anything when they bump into him. And I thought that is just a lovely, he's finally seeing what Simon is putting yeah. down. You know, they're really understanding each yeah, other. Yeah, his fidgeting is not I love that. to annoy you. It's like, it's fidgeting because he needs to move himself around as a regulation thing. It's just self-regulating. Mm. Well done, Baz, for adapting. And finally, I love that Penny doesn't give a fig about sacrilege or respecting a place because Baz and Agatha just previously talked about how the mage was mm-hmm. a heathen for driving over the moat. And she's like, take us through the gates, <laughs> over the moat. I love that. I was like, that's the proper thing to do in an emergency, right? Like, you can't, like, I get it, you know, keep churches quiet or whatever. But like, if someone's having a heart attack, make noise and get the ambulance guys in there, you know? Right. This makes sense to me. Don't stand on ceremony. Absolutely yeah. agree. Yeah. 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 Um, 
finally, I think it's a bit weird that they hold Evander holds a wand to their heads. That feels very unnecessary to do that, to hold it to a head, like, yeah. like it's a gun. You don't need to do that. You can just point it at them. Maybe it's because he's also holding them, right? Yeah, just seemed weird to me, but yeah, sure. I feel like he's been watching too many movies, Probably. basically. <laughs> I also thought it was really interesting, the spell that Smith Richards cast on Beth, who had lost her magic, which was like the brain etch-a-sketch one. I was like, dang, that's cold. Mm. Like, maybe that's what Evander was going to do. Spell them silly. Yeah. And Shep is no longer immune. Oh, no. That's true. Um, did you have any tangential? I just wanted to talk about the gayness of it all. So on page mm. 444, Neve cut her hair the way I suggested, which means, well, it means she knows good advice when she hears it. No, Agatha, this is gay. It's very gay. It's so gay. You have no idea how gay it is. Just accept the gayness. Thank you. It's cute. I also love how on page 445, Neve says, I'm convinced that most magicians would rather let some mystical savior solve their problems than do any work. Yes, yes. This is such a good thing to bring up because this happens in almost every single evangelical circle I have ever been made to be a part of or been adjacent to. I used to get really stressed out when people would go, oh, I can't wait for the rapture, just waiting for Jesus to come. And I'm like, you have this whole life right now. Like, you have this whole life. And, like, even no matter how much you believe, like, don't you think you have been given this life for a reason? Like, not mm. wishing it away stressed me out. And I do think there's a little bit of that. Like, my problems are so big, I just want them to go away there. And I feel like that's what Neve's responding to. And I just really love that she was able to put it so succinctly. Mm. And then, yeah, I'm more ranting about how much I hate Smith Richards and his optics. Barf. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> the worst. The worst. the worst. This was a very funny section. I did like how action-oriented Penny was. It was very satisfying. Yeah, she's Yeah, great. she has, um, she's just very chaotic neutral. Yeah, she's just making decisions and getting stuff mm. done. There's no moral mm. guidance to cry. Yeah, it's like, see a goal, achieve the goal. I love it. Yeah. Did you have an yeah. in-depth I do, and it's actually one you've just Ooh. mentioned. So it's on page 446, and it is where Neve and Agatha are talking about the chosen mm -hmm. ones, right? And so Neve says, I'm convinced that most magicians would rather let someone, some mystical savior solve their problems than do yeah. any work. I think this speaks to duty, because as you so very kindly put it in your um, story, you know, there is a duty to be a good person. Mm. There is a duty to be to help others and to take an active part in society and I think this is what Neve is touching on yeah. here that some people just would rather not do that because it's a lot mm -hmm. of work but there's also an expectation that we'll do the right thing like I think everyone expects that of themselves yeah. in theory in concept like you know I'll abide by the law and I'll not actively hurt people but then when that is put to the test people often do very different things yeah. right um, I was thinking about this in terms of politics because we have an election coming up in a couple of mm -hmm, couple of weeks in New Zealand. And it's just this classic thing where I think people just sit around and they'd rather have some mystical solution appear than do the work. And the problem with life is that we have to be an active participant in order to achieve the goals that we want. We cannot sit around and expect this just to magically happen for yeah. us. Like if you want to have a better world, you have to actively work towards yeah. it. We all have to take some individual responsibility in that sense. And it reminded me of this My Chemical Romance song where there's a line in it that always stands out to me where they say, everybody wants to change the world, but no one wants to die. And I think that is so true that people are always willing to talk the big talk. But when it comes to actually putting yourself out there, actually making sacrifices to your own comfort yeah. no one is willing to do it and everyone expects someone else will do it and i think there's a little bit of bystander sy syndrome involved mm -hmm. in that as mm -hmm. well being like this isn't a too hard basket for me i'm just gonna let someone else yeah. do it and i feel like i've been agitating a lot for people to take action recently but i just think there's a real trap we fall into when we become complacent and we sit around for people to create the lives for us that we want there's no great benevolent force like, the government is not a benevolent force. No one is just going to do the right thing because it's the right thing yeah. to do. Like, when it comes to these inherent power structures, because power structures survive because they have power. Yeah. And they don't want to give up that power. So if you want to make a change in the world, sometimes you have to act. You have to take steps. You have to vote for the party that supports the views that you have. You have to volunteer for the causes you care about. You have to be an active participant. And sometimes that means making sacrifices yep. for the greater yes. good, for the betterment of others. 
like we've spoken about it before that you shouldn't vote for what's best for you but what's best for the worst the person that's worse off yeah. in society like what is going to help that person mm-hmm. the most because we are part of a collective and when everyone thrives we all thrive like it's absolutely a, the smallest most struggling person is supported that benefits all of us and again i cannot stress how much individualism is not going to save us it's not going to be the way forward it's not going to get us out of the climate crisis it's not going to fix any of our problems so going forward just a reminder act when you can don't wait on others to solve your problems absolutely we have the referendum for the voice which would be codifying uh first nations opinions being considered into our constitution it's not a legally binding thing and yet there are still huge campaigns for people saying we can't allow them to even say i was like come on guys like is this actually a problem and it's like just racism it's just racism and yeah. i'm glad it's a referendum because it means everybody will have to have a say but also it's really scary how many people are just using their ignorance as an excuse to vote no rather than really looking at the issue and realizing that like it could help some people and it won't hurt anyone <laughs> like oh yeah it's really frustrating when you see people who are frightened of change to the degree where they won't do something that will help someone who's been like historically um marginalized and oppressed yeah it's frustrating it's really frustrating well what was your end it uh well mine is a similar on a similar vein it's an agatha saying it says when the dryad has encountered them in the wavering wood and has gone majors of the worst and she goes i'm not here to defend magicians i say i can't we're terrible even the best of us are the worst i'm just here to help this doe she's scared and alone and she's never done this before we can help her take us to her please so they're in the wavering wood and this is ebb's dryad who has come to confront agatha and she doesn't like Agatha's friends, and she tells Agatha's friends, but she calls her sister Golden Hair, which I think is really nice. So she rec- recognizes her. Um, and I think she senses the difference in Agatha, which I think is pretty great. Um, but I like that Agatha immediately mm. is like, I'm not going to disagree with you. I agree. We are the worst. But I have this duty, and I need to fulfill this duty. So help me to fulfill this duty. Um, mm. So that the expectation that the Dryad has is that Agatha is going to be helpful because she has been helpful before um, but she also wants to take her to task for the expectations of the world of mages as a whole and Agatha just won't take it um, she upends that mm. expectation by agreeing that magicians are the worst um, but I love that she's decided to put her duty first and foremost like we can have this argument later but like really we have to do this we have to take care of this person or this this creature um, I like how Agatha subverts the expectations of how she lives and moves within the world of mages and sets new expectations with other magical creatures who are outside the world of mages. Um, what it reminds me of in other texts, I am going to draw a bit of a longbow here and say that Agatha's arc in this book has really made me appreciate the way that characters who are different than expected are my favorites. And mm. I have been rereading Murderbot this week. Murderbot is a mm. series of novellas and one novel by Martha Wells. And Murderbot is a security unit. So a bot and organic construct. And even though Murderbot has really specific ideas about what a, sec- a sec unit should do, they are what a rogue sec unit would do. They are a rogue sec unit. And all they want to do is watch TV and protect their dumb soft humans. <laughs> so... I think that's pretty great. And Agatha's really similar to that. She just wants to do her thing and hang out with animals, but she guesses she will save the world of mages or whatever. Like, this time with the goats is the first time that Agatha's actually been allowed to act with agency and operate in the world of mages in the capacity she really likes. And it's kind of great. So, going forward, I think there's an intersection of our values and our duty, and it's within that intersection that we can find our vocation. I don't think everybody has a vocation or even needs to have a vocation, but I love the idea that it can be found within the scope of what we consider our duty and what we align with our values. So I think that that's worth looking out for. Mm. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, you don't have to tread the expected path, right? Exactly. Well, who would you like to spotlight this week? I'm going to spotlight Pippa because she was tied up. She was held hostage. She knew that something was wrong. She had been trying so hard to be faithful to this person who could possibly help her and then it turns out that the person who took her magic was actually the one who would help her more and I just I'm so glad that she has her voice back and I'm so glad that she's trying to do the right thing like she could have been sulky and angry and not been helpful 
but she considers it a duty to do the right thing, and I love that she's doing that. So I Pippa gets all the love this week. How about you? Nice. Um, I'm going to spotlight Baz because he still feels yeah. so bad about what happened with Pippa, and he takes that responsibility very seriously. Yeah. Like He wants to help her in any way he can, even at his own expense. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care what it costs him. And I think that's really admirable. So good for Absolutely. him. Hmm. Love Baz for that. It's such a, it was so, so hard feeling him be so upset at himself. I'm like, you haven't done that much of a terrible thing. Like, we all do dumb things when we're teenagers. But he's grown up now and he really feels it. It's like, oh, my heart. Yeah. Did you have any homework for our listeners? Yes, I want everyone to read The Murderbot Diaries by Martha Wells. I specifically want you to read them so that you and I can talk about them because they are so funny. I have read I've read one <gasps> yes. of them. Yeah. So good. I just love Murderbot so much. Yeah. And I really want to see these episodes of Sanctuary Moon. I feel like I would really enjoy that show. <laughs> um, how about you? Do you have any homework this week? The only thing I'll say is if you've got a PlayStation, give Hollow Knight a play because it's quite cute and fun and tell me how i can get past the first boss because i don't know <laughs> yes. i don't get it i don't know what i'm doing hello at marginaliapod.com please help jen be out i've done a google but it doesn't seem to help me oh no anyway Aww. well good luck i yeah. hope that you are able to sort it at some point <laughs> thanks it's okay i've been stuck on a level of donkey kong country 3 for super nintendo for about 22 years i think it's like i just can't get to the end of that game but it's okay i'll get there someday maybe (laughs) Mm. well next week we'll be reading chapters 74 through 83 through the theme of maturity Ooh, well we are very mature people so that should go well but we are not mature (laughs) for our age and if a guy ever says that to you and you are a young girl run run the other way run red flag biggest red flag yeah um <laughs> yes the auntie jen say that's a red flag thank you so much it was so fun potting today and thanks for being flexible Great about the timing section. as always of course no i'm glad you got to go on a cool plane it was very cool yeah. well i look forward to chatting again next week oh it'll be great i shall see you then all right see ya bye thank you for joining us today Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash up a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 